0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, December fifteenth, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Next year, we'll present a new opportunity to reform the breathtaking surveillance the federal government conducts every day. Kentucky U.S. Representative Thomas Massey, the keynote speaker at the Cato Institute's Conference on Surveillance last week, discussed the legislative lay of the land for surveillance reform in the next Congress. Well, there are a lot of experts in the room today on uh, this legislation and our efforts and what the government's been doing. What I want to share with you is the battle that we're fighting in Congress and to give you a peek behind the curtain of what we go through when we try to reform uh, some of the unconstitutional spying that's gone on in this country. Uh, And I will defer to the crowd on on some of the, and particularly Julian, who's an expert on uh, some of these the finer points of these issues. Uh, And then I also need to give credit to Zoe Lofgren and Rush Holt, who were the co-sponsors of this amendment. They actually probably did more work on this amendment than I did, but uh, we felt like a Republican had to introduce it. And I was the only Republican that was willing to introduce this uh, bill, this amendment that we had all worked on. So what I want to do is uh, just give you an overview really of three different legislative efforts. That would be the Amash amendment to the DOD appropriations bill in 2013, the Freedom Act in the House. I won't get into the Senate version of it, but what happened in the House, and then the Massey-Lofgren amendment in the House. But first let me give you a little bit of my background and tell you sort of where I am ideologically. In 1993, when I was finishing my thesis at MIT, I looked up at the uh, television and saw something happening in Waco, Texas that disturbed me. Uh, And what I saw was there was a group of people that was easy to vilify. The left did not like them because they were clinging to guns and religion. And the right did not like them because they weren't clinging to a religion that they recognized. And the individual was probably a, a polygamist at, the, um, at Waco. But that didn't justify what I saw. What I saw were tanks running over children's go karts and dozens of people dying in a fire. And I decided there's something wrong here with the left-right paradigm. There's something wrong with civil liberties in this country. And that's when, looking back, I decided that I was a civil libertarian. Uh, Another point I want to make is that in Republican primaries across the country, the the districts have been so gerrymandered that most of them are either red or blue, and it ends up being a race to the right or a race to the left in a lot of these congressional districts. And in my case, it's a Republican district, and there were seven candidates in a primary, and everybody was trying to be more conservative than everybody else. But um, fortunately, thanks to the efforts of some of you in this room to inform my constituents, And thanks to the efforts of Rand Paul, who had just finished two years earlier running in Kentucky, people in Kentucky were in tune with uh, the fact that our civil liberties have been violated by the Patriot Act and other pieces of uh, legislation. And so I campaigned on that instead of trying to be more to the right than the next person. And it was obviously, uh, it worked and I'm here, uh, extremely frustrated some days at what happens. Like last night when the Massey-Lofgren amendment was It was stripped behind closed doors from the appropriations bills. It was actually amendment to the DOD appropriations bill and it was stripped from the omnibus part and parcel. There was nothing left of it. And uh, that was very frustrating to see. And of course the omnibus passed without that legislation on it. But I'll get into that a little bit. Let me describe my colleagues. and and myself as well, I'll include myself in this. When I came to Congress, I'm an engineer, I thought if you had all of the facts on your side, you could win the day, and that your case uh, would be a closed case, open, shut. Um, But what I discovered is that we're all, we're not voting algorithms, we're soft mammals that go there and press buttons, and we possess fully all of the faults that the general population possesses, no additional intelligence uh, to speak of, and a greater degree of hubris. Uh, By virtue of winning the election, some people think they got a chip that instructs them on uh, how to know everything better than their congressman. In fact, when I first got to Congress, one congressman told me that he was advised by an elder congressman when he got there that I always vote the way my constituents would have me vote, unless, of course, I know something about this legislation that they don't, which is always the case. And and they use that mentality to their advantage in Congress, and I say they, I mean the leadership, which generally opposes any reform to the um, intelligence community's activities. They uh, use this on congressmen. And uh, for instance, I'll I'll start with some pre-Snowden legislation, the CISPA the Cyber Intelligence Sharing and Protection Act, which was, uh, we were actually working on that in the House. It had just been debated in the House. It had just passed when the Snowden revelations came out. So it was actually helpful, the timing of those revelations and disclosures in that we could point back and say, see, this is what we were talking about could happen if uh, CISPA passes. But when they did CISPA, it it was interesting we had um, classified briefings, you know, they bring the generals in and the computer experts uh, from the CIA and the NSA and they, I remember one comical uh, briefing where there was a, a computer geek, and and I have a lot of nerd pride so I can call people geeks, but um, he was sitting there and he was doing a demonstration of how the Russians could hack into your computer. Well, he was running two programs on the computer at the same time. So he's actually hacking into the computer he was typing on. And that was interesting to him, but I don't think it made sense to any other of the congressmen. You know, To him, he was running two different threads on this computer, and so this was a novel thing he was doing. And he was typing, typing in like hexadecimal numbers into a C prompt. You know, he's down at the root level, but he could see what was going on in the windows, and his program crashed. His simulator crashed. And he was like, oh, darn it. And the general's like standing there, like oh, shaking his head. And I'm thinking, nobody realizes your program crashed in this room. <laughs> you could just fake this whole thing. Um, but, anyways, they convinced everybody in that room that now they knew something nobody else knew, and they were qualified to vote on CISPA and vote for CISPA, even though their constituents would not have them vote for CISPA. Um, then we had the Snowden revelations, I'll call them, and then uh, Congressman Amash, who's really the leader, he is the person that people go to in the House when they wanna know how the, what the legislation really does, because he has an excellent staff, and uh, he himself just pours through these bills. So he introduced an amendment to the DOD appropriations bill to try to stop the, uh, the bulk collection of all your metadata. Because actually, as, as Justin Amash points out, the metadata is probably more dangerous than the actual content uh, when they can realize how you're interacting socially and who you're interacting with. So he sought to, uh, you know, to rein that in. And but and so that's the first of the three bills I'm going to discuss. But let me tell you why this was an appro- why this was an amendment to an appropriations bill. The leadership and all the chairmen of the committees of respective jurisdiction do not want to reform the intelligence community's activities. They just don't want to do it. And and in the House of Representatives, because the committee structure and the leadership structure, they have so much power. We can introduce all the wonderful bills we want. We're up to HR like 5600 in this Congress. So there's been 5600 bills introduced. But the leadership and the chairman decide which bills come to the floor. So, you know, those of us like Justin Amash and I and Zoe Lofgren that are trying to get legislation to the floor, we have to look for opportunities. And they're, they're few and far between. In fact, it reminds me, as an engineer, it reminds me of like that first invention where they tried to do movies and this thing rotated. It was called a, a daedalum or a zoetrope, but it had little slits in it. You've probably seen one of these in a museum. And you look and a slit goes by and you can see a picture on the other side of the drum as it's spinning. And that's occasionally photons pass through that drum. And that's the way I look at our legislative opportunities is occasionally there's a slit in the drum that goes by and you could get a few photons in there. And uh, that one of those opportunities is in the form of a limitation amendment to an appropriations bill. Congress has the power of the purse, and the sort of democratic thing that the leadership has agreed to do, uh, merely to keep their leadership because there would be a revolt if they didn't, is to allow us to, anybody in the House, it's one of the rare democratic aspects of the House, anybody in the House can offer any amendment they want. You can write it down in your handwriting and submit it to the clerk on any appropriations bill. But it's very constrained, because there are all these rules around it. You can't legislate, you can't, you can't affect existing code. All you can do is limit how the money is spent. And so that was how uh, Justin Amash's amendment was drafted. It's, and it's very hard to achieve what we want to achieve. It'd be better if we could sit down and write a bill that goes in and changes the US code. But that's not what these limitation amendments do. And boy, he caught the attention of the world. Um, he caught the attention of the leadership. Uh, he had the world bearing down on him uh, for, for his efforts. No good deed goes unpunished. Uh, for his efforts, one of our colleagues called him in the media Al-Qaeda's best friend. And of course, that got used against him in a campaign, in a primary. Uh, and so this is, this is what you run up against uh, when you try to introduce legislation. That, that bill failed by only seven votes, but it was heroic that we got within seven votes because let me tell you who voted no. Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer voted no. That's a minority leader and the minority whip. Uh, John Boehner, who's the speaker and rarely ever votes on legislation, decided to vote on this piece of legislation. He voted no. The uh, Eric Cantor voted no and the majority whip Kevin McCarthy voted no. So the entire leadership voted against it. All of the committee chairmen, that had any jurisdiction over this voted against it, and yet we almost got half of the House of Representatives to go against all of the leadership on both parties and all of the committee chairmen and ranking members. So, uh, and now that gets us to an interesting point. Uh, These folks who voted against that bill was like watching them put their hands into a wood chipper because I knew they were voting against the will of their constituents. And they went home and did town halls, the ones that will still do town halls. Uh, And I watch town halls, other congressmen's town halls on YouTube, for the same reason most people watch NASCAR, (laughs) for the wrecks, to watch the pileups. And if you try to convince your constituents you're pro-liberty and you're not, and you've got a voting record that shows you're not, you're gonna have a wreck. And uh, these, these folks that were on the wrong side of this vote, the ones who are still brave enough to do town halls, they went through the wood chipper back home. And this presented an opportunity. They came back and said, my gosh, we've got to do something. So um, let us see how much time I have here. The, they came back and said, we've got to do something. So we had the Freedom Act. And they said, what do we do? And so uh, Justin Amash was the leader in this, and a lot of us worked on this. And we got Jim Sensenbrenner, who was the original... Actually, this was his bill, but he was the original uh, author of the Patriot Act, and he, he feels like he was, you know, more or less misled when he passed the Patriot Act. They told them they wouldn't do things with it, which, with which they actually went and did. So he wanted to right that wrong, so he introduced the Freedom Act, and a lot of us had good input into that. It started out as a great bill, and everybody wanted to do something because they were getting beat up back home. So we got like 151 co-sponsors on this thing, which is, which is tremendous. And um, it had great reforms in there. Closed backdoor loopholes, uh, stopped the uh, bulk collection of meta- metadata without uh, tying the hands of the intelligence community to stop or, or um, to intercept terrorist communications. It didn't tie their hands at all. And uh, so it was a great bill. And this gets me to another point where, another one of those slits in the drum where it goes by and you have an opportunity. A great bill on its own is not gonna make it to the floor of the House. Uh, Another opportunity to get your legislation on the floor is to attach it to something that must pass. And so the Patriot Act uh, is going to, provisions of it will expire, because it's not permanent, some of it's temporary. Provisions of it will expire. So this was attached. Reluctantly, um, it was attached to the reauthorization of those Patriot Act uh, provisions that were gonna expire. But here's what happened. Uh, So the bill goes into committee and it got eviscerated. It was gutted uh, and then to add insult to injury after it came out of committee, and some of us were still saying, is it worth passing, is it not worth passing? Uh, we were torn, is it, is it better to, to take a little bit now and reauthorize the Patriot Act and get more later, as long as we're moving in the right direction? But, and so we sort of waited on the sidelines. We didn't condemn it yet. But then it went, when it came out of committee, they took it to six different intelligence organizations in this government and it got rewritten again. And then they brought it to the floor of the House and there was no opportunity to offer amendments to it. In fact, it, at this point, it had been gutted so much and distorted so much that 75 of the original 151 co-sponsors wouldn't even vote for the bill. So you know it's changed a lot if a co-sponsor won't vote for the bill. Uh, now the primary sponsor of bills, what I've, what I've noticed is they get this zeal for the deal and they wanna see their bill pass. And they, were t- they will tolerate more, um, playing or tinkering with their bill than any of the other co-sponsors. So, uh, Sensenbrenner stuck with it, but to show you how bad it was, all of the people that voted against the Amash Amendment, the chair of the Intelligence Committee, the chair of Judiciary, the the majority leader, the minority leader, they all voted for the Freedom Act, even though they were, the modified Freedom Act, even though they weren't co-sponsors. And um, it passed the House and then recently there was some activity in the Senate and somebody else will have to talk about that because I didn't track exactly the changes that happened to it in the Senate, although the vote was close over there. I'm not sure if I would or would not have voted for the Senate bill. It was a tough call. So that gets us to, uh, to my bill or amendment, which was an amendment to the DOD appropriations bill in 2014. Now, we're a full year after the Snowden revelation and nothing has been done. The, uh, and to describe the, the sort of mountain that you face when you try to reform the NSA or any of the intelligence activities from a Congress, I need to uh, tell you a, a story or a joke, if you will, that comes from the 80s, so it's a little bit dated, but it still applies. Do you remember in the 80s when you bought computers you did, there was no internet. You didn't go on Dell's website and buy a computer. You went into like the IBM store and they were, you know, they were on pedestals and you would go check out the PCXT. This has got an 8088 processor. It's got 512K of RAM and they would, you know, the salesman would tell you all the wonderful things this computer could do for your business. Um, so at the time there was a joke that said, what's, what's the difference between a car salesman and a computer salesman? Does anybody know the difference? Well, the car salesman knows when he's lying to you. It, the the computer salesman doesn't actually know when he's lying to you. Well, let me tell you, we have no shortage of car salesmen or computer salesmen on the whip team in Congress. Those are the ones responsible for describing to you what the bill does, what it actually does, and whether you should vote for it or not. And some of them will will lie to you because they they know they're lying to you, and some of them probably the majority of them don't even know what's in the bill, they just know it's their job to get you to vote for or against it. And so I wanted to read to you the advisement from my, uh, the majority whip on the Massey-Lofgren amendment. This, came, this was an email that was sent to every congressional office by uh, the whip, the majority whip, it says whip, L- legislative director alert, DOD appropes Massey Amendment. FYI, dear colleague, and this is sent um, by, on behalf of the House Committee on Judiciary, Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, and House Appropriations Subcommittee on Defense. Dear colleagues, Islamic, Radical terrorists are on the march in Iraq, and the leader of ISIL has publicly threatened to attack America. Syria has become a vortex of jihadists from across the globe, and the Director of National Intelligence and the Secretary of Homeland Security have warned of the growing threat these jihadists pose to our own homeland. State control has collapsed in Libya, and rival gangs of radical terrorists have established safe havens that rival those in Afghanistan prior to 2001. Meanwhile, in Afghanistan and Pakistan, the Taliban, Haqqani Network, and Al-Qaeda continue to fight. Moreover, the administration has released the Taliban 5 from Gant- Gantanamo, emboldening the terrorists. The terrorist danger is grave and growing. The terrorist threat is not contained overseas. The US homeland remains a prime aspiration and target. This amendment, would create a blind spot for the intelligence community, tracking the terrorists with direct connections to U.S. homeland. Last month, the House overwhelmingly passed H.R. 3361, the USA Freedom Act, which expressly prohibits the government from using communications to or from person who appears to be located in the United States, except where the communication relates to unlawful foreign target or to protect against immediate threat to human life. A similar amendment to the one offered tonight was defeated after a full debate at the House Judiciary Committee. The House voted on an overwhelming bipartisan basis to provide the intelligence community with the tools it needs to keep Americans safe while restoring public confidence that the appropriate safeguards are in place. Now is not the time to stop intercepting communications of known terrorists. Now is not the time to blind our intelligence community to the threat. Vote no on this amendment. And so that's the letter that my leadership sent to every member of Congress about this. Now. Most, that went to their legislative team. The, that's the ones responsible for reading the bill and informing their congressman of what's in the bill. Now, congressmen don't have time to read all that, so they get one sentence when they show up at the floor of the House. And here's the sentence that the whip put out. Uh, there's, you know, there's like 10 bills, 10 amendments. They walk in, they gotta vote on 10 amendments. It's like speed round, two minutes per amendment. So they got one sentence here. Massey, Republican Kentucky amendment, Prohibits funds from being used to fully exploit lawfully collected foreign intelligence information collected under Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. So, uh, prohibits, basically prohibits us from catching terrorists. All, all our amendment did is require them to have probable cause and a search warrant. That's all it did. They could do everything they were previously doing. And then uh, that's the, the, uh, the main part of the amendment. There was a second part of the amendment which would prohibit the government, the US government, from forcing our companies to put backdoors, security backdoors, in their products. Whether it's encryption technology that you trust, it would keep, you know, the government, presumably, uh, can keep, can make companies brain damage their products so that it's easier for the government to get to your data. And they can do that in hardware and software. So our bill also would prevent the government from forcing companies to do that. So um, in spite of this whip effort to keep everybody off of this bill, we, it passed 293 to 123. Now, I think the reason it passed which, with such a large margin is that people are becoming more and more informed about this and congressmen go back home and they get tore up over this and they, it's like an electric fence and the cows put its nose to it too many times and they don't want any part of that fence anymore. So I, I will concede they probably didn't read my bill, a lot of them that voted for it. Uh, but they voted for it because these are intuitive creatures. And intuitively, they felt like this was the right thing to do. And, uh, and I appreciate that. That and, you know, Amash was a co sponsor, Sensenbrenner was a co sponsor. Um, we had a lot of good co sponsors on, on the Republican side. And on the Democrat side, Rush Holt had had really worked on that provision to keep the uh, government from forcing companies to put the back doors in their products. So that passed, that was uh, an amendment, a limitation amendment to the DOD appropriations bill, which by all rights should have been in this omnibus that passed last night. But it got stripped behind closed doors and uh, never showed up in the final bill, which is very unfortunate. I will have some good news for you at some point in this speech, I guess. Um, let's see. So, you know, that, that brings us, I guess, to where we are uh, right now, which is what what are we going to do in the next Congress? Let me tell you the good news. So inside of Congress, we have all these caucuses. There's like the Aviation Caucus, the Tea Party Caucus, the Diabetes Caucus the ready mix caucus for concrete, like there's a caucus for everything. And uh, your constituents are always calling you up, why aren't you on this caucus? Don't you care about my issue? I wanna tell them, well, these caucuses never meet, they don't do anything. But I don't tell them that. Uh, no, I'll just do what they want me to do. And, uh, but there is one caucus that meets twice a month throughout the year when we are in Congress, and that's the Liberty Caucus. And this was started by Congressman Ron Paul, and then Justin Amash took up the mantle. And it's an invitation only caucus. You can't join it to burnish your credentials. This is a problem with the caucuses. That's what most people are doing. They're joining the Tea Party caucus because they want, want to appeal to their Tea Party community, or uh, you know, other, other various conferences and caucuses. This is invitation only. And we have about 36 people that are invited, and we regularly have 24 that show up to this, and, and this is every other week while we're in session. And it's, it's our opportunity to inform at least 24 members and to debate what should be in the legislation or what should be in the amendments. And it's a, it's a great group for us. And the good news is, and we invite Democrats too, it's not just a Republican thing, uh, depending on the situation, like on, on CISPA, we invited Democrats to, that, um, to those meetings. Uh, it's a great thing, but it's gonna get better because these primaries that happen that nobody pays attention to. No, everybody's watching Senate primaries and Senate races. Nobody pays attention to the House races. And I think we picked up a lot of civil libertarians, or at least people who are informed on civil liberties in this, in this last election, uh, and so I'm excited. We're probably going to grow that caucus by about 10 people, at least, on the Republican side, and I'm not sure, I haven't met with the Democrat freshmen yet, and I think we're going to gain members there. And if you look at how these votes break down, uh, whether it's the Amash Amendment, the Massey-Lofgren Amendment, or uh, co-sponsors to the real Freedom Act, uh, it doesn't break down Republican or Democrat. It's, you know, there's an aisle in the middle of Congress, It, uh, left and right side of the aisle, it does not break down that way. It it more often breaks down on how long have you been in Congress? How recently did you get there? Uh, And the ones who have arrived more recently tend to be more in tune with this issue and more representative of the will of the people. The other bit of good news is that uh, CISPA stalled in the, its support for it. I'm sure there were a lot of people that voted for it in the House that after The Snowden revelations came out. Uh, Wish they hadn't voted for CISPA, but it did stall in the Senate, and I think it's gonna be hard to get that thing moving again, hopefully, uh, because of all of the new information that we have. And then um, finally, the Patriot Act's gonna expire. That's, That's good news because what it means, or provisions of it, what it means is there's an opportunity, one of those slits that pass by where you can get a few photons in, There's an opportunity to get some reform there because they desperately want to reauthorize the Patriot Act. And so uh, that's the good news. Those are the opportunities. Thomas Massey is a Republican U.S. representative from Kentucky. You can watch the full surveillance conference held last week at the Cato Institute at our website, Cato.org.